Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Explore the Extraordinary podcast. My name is Betty Guadagno, and today I am joined by Claudia. And I had the pleasure of meeting Claudia in person at the 2022 IONS conference in Salt Lake City. I was actually recording her talk for uh, for the yeah for our, for the for people to be able to watch online, and I was just blown away. I loved the authenticity, and I had so much identification just with like your personality. And so I've really been wanting to collaborate ever since then. We're like a whole, almost a whole year away from that. And I'm so grateful that we're finally getting the opportunity to collaborate. Claudia is an author. She's an experiencer and yeah, just seems like a cool chick. So I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much. And I'm going to toss it over to you to share some of your experience with us. I just love as this community is growing, you know, it's like the support, you know, it, my experience happened in 1984 and it was really hard to, to talk about, to find somebody um, that was keen on listening to something that was woo woo and unusual and all of that. So thank you community. And thank you Betty for this opportunity for, for me. Um, as I say, it was in 1984, I was getting ready to ha- to give birth to my fifth baby, fifth and last baby. And I followed an instinct that told me to go to the hospital. I was not in labor. I don't know why I was within three days of my due date. And I just, it was really being pressed upon me that I needed to go to the hospital. And so I did. And, um, in that time frame of the front desk to them deciding to give me a gown and to be checked out, I started to bleed. Um, and it was a few drops at first, and they were telling me it was normal, but it it went into um, a river, <laughs> an explosion of, um, I just couldn't believe the proportion of blood that was coming. And it was a dire situation. By the time they got somebody in there to check me, they told me it was, I had two, the the words used were I had two minutes of life left. It was that horrific and quick. We're only talking about under 10 minutes that I had been at the hospital and now I'm dying. I wasn't in any kind of pain. I couldn't figure out why they're saying I'm dying when I wasn't in pain at that point. And uh, I started to build an expectation of I'm if I'm dying, I'm going to be seeing my dad who had meant meant so much to me that I lost when I was 16. And I had read about near-death experiences. And here I was going to be having my my own only. I mean, I was dying. <laughs> I was dying, right? And so there was the wave of responsibility and sadness of what I was going to leave behind but also there was an excitement of what was to come because I wasn't afraid of it and and excited because it had been 16 years since I had seen my dad and so there was there was I was feeling both and I was trying to hold very still and hoping that my heart would not just completely pump out all of my blood um, and I, my concern was of the baby. They couldn't get a heartbeat on my baby. And so by the time they, uh, they were ready to operate on me, there was no time to get me into an operating room. I was pushed um, into an examination room where they could at least pull the light down closer. 
So I didn't have anesthesia or a warm blanket or an aspirin or oxygen or anything else. I was in, I was surgery in the raw. They called me pioneer woman as they held down my arms and legs and an intern cut me from, you know, under my breast to all the way down to my pelvic um, to expose and try to get to my baby quickly. That's when I felt the pain and um, it was excruciating and the room, uh, the room was suffering trauma as well. It just looked like a war zone in there. And I started to go blind. Um, I had lost so much blood that I was losing my sight, but my hearing was becoming really acute. I could hear different conversations in the hospital separate, not all as a noise, like in a cafeteria or something, but separate conversations and of rooms, you know, on, on another floor, even it was really amazing how I could focus and get those. And I heard music in the background as I was laying there trying to be calm as they're moving intestines and everything else to try and get to the baby. I focused on some music that I heard and as I was going blind, I started to pull back into this tunnel. It started, it was, you know, getting dark. The room, uh, you know, I kept checking the lights. The room was getting dark. And the walls began to do a wave like water. And I was pulling backwards and I popped out of my body. And as I, and I was thinking at the time, oh, this must be the tunnel that I've read about. This must be how the tunnel forms. But I didn't go through a tunnel. I, I popped out, and now I'm above this body, this trauma, this, you know, it was horrible. And it was like, I just, I didn't want anything to do with it. It was no longer me. Me was still intact. I was Claudia. I was the same as I ever was. The death part, I would like to say, was... I mean, dying isn't fun, but don't be afraid of the the stepping off into the death realm, so to speak, because it was a soft pop. It was a it was easy. It was comfortable. It was I it was familiar. And I didn't question that now suddenly I'm above a body and I'm go now I'm able to go through a wall. I was traveling down the halls of the hospital. I was searching for this music, which happened to be the theme song for MASH. <laughs> you know, that da-da-da, <laughs> which is crazy, but I, it had been, my ears had been so focused that that's what I was moving towards. And I ended up in a gentleman's room, and he I didn't see me enter. And then I was right beside his bed and he didn't turn and acknowledge me or anything. And so I, I put a hand in front of his face and nothing. And I went, oh, I must be dead. It was like walking through walls or floating wasn't enough of a, you know, a, a key there. It was <clears throat> that no one's paying attention to me. I must be dead. And as soon as I thought that, I went into a vastness. Now, people have called this the void, but I fight that term because 
to me, void means it's missing something. And this wasn't missing a thing. It was completely dark. If I've been asked, you know, did you have a body? I don't know. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see the hand. If I had a hand, I couldn't have seen it. I was still me. All my thoughts, my curiosities, my feelings were all still me. And I was in this place of complete perfection. Even though I couldn't see anything, the feeling was uh, uh, multiplied. Sorry, sometimes I just search, as you know, earthwards. It's really hard to describe something so amazing. And it it encompassed me. It, it caressed me and held me and swaddled me and made me feel safe and I was completely happy to be within this space. It was intelligent. It knew everything about me. It was, it it knew me intimately. And it knew, I guess, what I needed at the time was just comforting at, at this stage. And I, I will jump in a little later and explain that to a little more of extent. Because I, when I woke up, this is what I remembered of my near-death experience was perfect blackness. Um, And I was brought back by a voice that just kept calling me back in this space of complete silence and peace and love and comfort. Here comes this irritating human voice, scratchy, itchy. It just was, you know, I, I, I wanted to, curl up into into this blackness where I was safe from this voice, but it kept telling me, your baby is alive. You need to come back and take care of her. You had a little girl. You, she needs you. You need to come back. And I, 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 I remember feeling like I was trying to push it, physically push this voice away. It was just irritating and curl more up into this vastness but as soon as i thought of trying to form a word and argue back or whatever with this voice and say no i'm not coming back as i tried to form those thoughts to to be heard by this person i was back in my body i was back into the trauma and the pain and someone was putting a a mask over my face for oxygen. This all happened very, very quickly. And I I woke up in a hospital room, really confused of where I had been. And as I said earlier, I, I was expecting now my death. I was told I was dying. And so when I went someplace that I hadn't read about, I didn't see grandma or the garden or my dad or, you know, anything of the wonderful experiences that I heard. I I began to question my worthiness of having this beautiful NDE, you know, even to the point where um, I was in a teaching hospital. And because I was pregnant and had taken care of myself, I didn't have, even have caffeine or an aspirin. Right. I'm. Uh, um, no anesthesia. I mean, I was a candidate 
for research for near-death experiences, but I couldn't form the words so early on of what happened to me. And when I mentioned that I had been in this darkness, this researcher kind of, the, the, the look on her face, I'll never forget it. It was disappointed. It was waiting for one of those stories, and I didn't have one to offer. And it seemed like there was just kind of a negativity or disappointment in what I had to offer. And I thought, well, man, if if this researcher of near-death experiences doesn't get me, <laughs> how is my mom or my neighbors or my church or, you know, anybody else going to um, understand me? And so I pushed everything down and pushed it down for a really long time. And, you know, as you know, Betty, things kind of bubble up and, you know, you're pushing back down. But it just got to a point where it was it was time. It was time to figure out what happened. And um, I I have to give so much credit to the IONS organization. Um, I was brought to my first conference was in Arizona and um, D. DeWitt Maltby brought me. And to meet, you know, there's the podcast, this one included, the stories that you are, that you can watch on a nightly basis and, and get your feel every every day are, are wonderful and amazing. But when you are in the same room and the spirit between people, the soul to soul, um, the, the hugs, the, I mean, like, like more than an earth hug. It's so, it's, it's intense. And I, I knew I had found a home, you know, and I began, as I began sharing my experience and talking about it, more and more experience has come. And the trust has in, in, because what I, what I get, I would say 85% of it is in dream form. It's a safe place for me to be absolutely relaxed. Like I said, five children, I've got 10 grandchildren, I have a busy life. But when I turn the lights out and lay down, that's my time. I treasure, I'm, you know, unlike when I hear people <clears throat> say they, they wake up in the middle of the night, I'm glad because it's like, I, I'll have great dreams throughout the night. When I wake up, I can go through and think of that dream. I'm, I'll jot down something that will help me remember in the morning and I'll go back to sleep. But I always honor that I woke up, that there was a reason that I woke up. And I honor that. And I, I lay there and go, what, what was I supposed to remember here? And so I had kind of a path that I was like, what would this IONS group, who's so educated, there are so many near-death experiences out there. There's so many podcasts to listen to that I, I I try and think what is it what space I could fill that some that I'm that someone may have a a question and I I thought of something and I was really kind of you know rereading um, my experience you know to sharpen up the memory and everything and it this to talk about dream work just really kept coming up. So I thought we might talk a little bit about that today. <laughs>
Wow. Ooh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and being vulnerable and also sharing about IONS as a community. And I think I'll put a little link right above my head right here so that you can click on it to join our online community if you're interested, you know, because we do have local groups and, and they get together in person, but not everybody is in an area where there is a local group. And so we have a great online community, you know, like that's how I found my way to IONS and it's how I got all the language for my experience and how I'm able to connect with people like Claudia, because like I put myself out there in a vulnerable way, even if it's only on the internet. And last year when I went to our in-person conference, that was my first time ever at a conference, period. <laughs> and and not only that, but it was, yeah, the, the there's no words to describe the feeling. Mm. You know, like it's just, as somebody said heart-centered recently. Mm. And I was like, yes, it just felt like my heart exploded and reached out to every person there. And it mm. felt like this vibration of people who had no fear of death. Or we're really interested in like the continuation of consciousness. And it, yeah, it was so cool. I'm really looking forward to this year as in the years to come. But dream work has definitely been a huge thing in my own journey. So yeah, I would love to maybe open up the conversation to that. I'm glad that it's sort of steering this way. So what is your process like as far as like, do you have a dream journal? Do you look on certain sites for interpretation? Do you go into your own inner guidance? Uh, really good questions. I guess the best answer that I could give in that is just in entrusting that some dreams are sand dreams, right? We've watched a weird movie or something's on our mind. And usually it's the first dream of the night that I, uh, you know, you wake up and it just as soon as you're waking up, it just glitters away. But there are those that stick with you. But if you don't give a moment in in that time to, to just lie there and, and go, okay, what just happened? And as I get older, it's harder for me. I mean, you know, it's like um, I can't just lay there. I, I need to run to the bathroom or, you know, whatever. And so it's a practice that, um, like I say, I keep a journal by my bedside, even a piece of paper. If I write down the color yellow or, you know, something, I was in the mountains with so-and-so or whatever to bring me back when I wake up, if I, even in the dark, a scribble, and and then go backwards, give, I know it's really hard when you jump up with an alarm clock and that, I get it, you know, I'm, I turned 70 in a couple of weeks, so I don't live by the alarm clock other than my, I have twin grandchildren who live here with me. And so they wake me up, but I could still kind of lay there a little bit and, and just go over what occurred in the night. There was a meme on Facebook and it's interesting that it just happened yesterday that I saw that, but basically it was like on dream communication with the other side that not going over exploring your dreams is like getting a, a telegram and then not even bothering to open it up. You know, that it's like, how else is the other side going to reach in into our human busyness and, you know, take that opportunity? I know that I have been so busy in in my life and that, that I've had communication that I didn't even realize that I, 
I lost my sister a number of years ago, my little sister, and of course my dad, and now my mom. And I'll have to really think back and go, oh my goodness, Kaylin was in that dream. I saw her face last night because we think that when, you know, when someone passes and they're so important to us and it's kind of like we're going to have this huge reunion next time we see them, right? But when we see them, it's that sister. You just are sisters again. It, it wasn't a, oh, my God, you've been gone for 12 years and three months and blah, 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 and, and I got to hug you. It's just, hey, my sister's there. And it's so natural that it almost fleets by, right, unless you pay attention to it. And in those times where I've needed to see her face or needed to know she was there, or the fact that my father was one of my greatest teachers because I had such a trust in my dad that when he brings me something, some uh, some kind of lesson, and I'll jump into that, I, I call it spirit school because, and I know I'm really taking a long way to answer this question, I will say that because I'm open to it, that I have asked for my guides or whatever, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to, I, I know you're there. I don't doubt you're there, but I'm human. Can you like give me, you know, what color are you or what species or who, you know, are you, you know, uh, just something. And I would start getting little, you know, like, I don't know, little little clues, I guess I would say. And I know he's white, um, and I didn't even mean to get into this, but he would leave me like white rocks, or I know when a white Jeep passed me by, or a white bird was following me on this mountain trail. And I and he's humor is so big on the other side. There are answers in that. If it's not so serious and hard, you know, the whole, it's like, no, they're having a good time and we are entertaining. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, they're like, um, just like we were talking earlier, it's like, what does it matter? You know, if this is a memory or is this happened last night, it's like, you know, they're just, they're fun. And, and this is how my guide appeared to me. I was having a regular dream but there was something crazy happening in the corner of, you know, my awareness of this dream, right? And over here is this, it was a fairy. It was a chubby guy, hairy back, thick arms, you know, the whole thing, beard. He's smoking a cigar, right? He's chewing on this stubby cigar with his hairy legs and hairy back in a in a cute little fairy costume. And he's just kind of twirling and he's got his wand in the other hand, cigar in one and wand in the other. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I would and I watched him and he held this uh, kind of like a billboard, you know, this message pad that just said, pay attention to me. And then he'd hold up another one and go, come with me. And we would, he would come in in different costumes. I was going to say every night. There were nights that he didn't. But, you know, I mean, on a pretty regular basis, he'd come in as the Texaco man with a bow tie and the creased khaki pants. And, you know, it was always something or a whirling dervish, all in red with the 
you know, the red dunce cap type thing and just twirl and twirl and twirl till I went, oh, my guide's here, you know, got to go dream because I'm, and so I called it spirit school where he would take me and I would come back with these lessons, these, what I would, what I was given, I called uh, metaphor or a parable. And I just said that I called, it actually would come with a headline. It would say, this is a metaphor. Don't get it twisted. This isn't exactly how it ha- how things are on the other side. But this is a way for you to go back and write about it and share it. Here's a story that kind of lays out how, you know, because we need a layering on this side. You know, it's like, why aren't we getting all these answers from the other side? And it's like, it would blow our minds. We There's no way we could handle it unless we work on this foundation so that we can accept new things. So I love it that Ions is opening up to more than just the, and I don't mean it just the near-death experience because man, near-death experience, awesome, awesome, you know, um, and the stories from it, but there is a lot more and for them to be open to a lot more, man, what an opportunity for us to learn and build those foundations. Yes. Oh my goodness. Wow. So much of what you said just like lit me up so much, Mm -hmm. but yes, you know, there, there's so much that comes along with the spiritual experience with the near-death experience, because there's a whole world of integration. You know, like you can't just have a profound experience like that and expect to be able to maintain a human life the same way that you were before your experience. And so dream work, like for me, shadow work is very important. And as you're sharing about some of some of the stuff in your dreams, I'm just thinking like, yes, yes, yes. And one of the really big things that came up for me in my integration process from like complete unawareness to like being downloaded with every piece of information that ever has ever existed, that's what it felt like, was that how could my dream world be so different from this world? If I can close my eyes and somehow instantaneously create an entire universe, what makes me think that with my eyes open, I'm not doing the exact same thing? Wow. Right. Yeah. I got to read this to you because this was another thing that just came. Well, I got it about a month ago, but I've saved it because it's just so awesome. It's so strange to me that people write off dreams as just another normal human experience. We literally go into a lucid coma for eight hours a night, slip through the veil of reality and experience inexplicably complex hallucinations and then suffer amnesia about it in the morning. It just explains, you know, it's like, of course there is so much coming in dreams and I have a couple of them that I want to share that were huge learning dreams for me. So many of them are personal to my own growth, but um, I had a dream. Let let me just refresh some of the ones that I wanted to talk about. Um, Sorry, I just had kind of a a brain scare there. It's kind of like, what am I? What what did I want to share? Um, let's keep going because it's it's left me for a second, and I apologize. Come back to you. Well, so okay. something else that came up for me when you were sharing about dreams is that 
in my spiritual experience, it was as if I had woken up from the dream. Like this was the dream. Earth was the dream. And when I woke up in eternity, I was like, damn, that was crazy. And the same way how you're saying like you get amnesia when you wake up from a, from an actual like sleeping dream. That's what it felt like when I woke up in eternity. I could only grab three seconds of yeah. 35 wow. years of life. And so like now I try to carry that with me, you know, like if I believe that I'm inside of a waking dream right now, meaning that I can also manipulate the energy here, right? That's what people talk about when they talk about manifesting and the law of attraction. Like I can manipulate this waking dream the same way that people can manipulate their lucid dreams. And um, yeah, you know, like it, for me, it gives me a great sense of freedom. Like, why am I taking everything so seriously? Like, this is a dream. Mm, you know? mm. I remembered, sorry, with that, what I wanted to touch on, because so many of us are waking up with, whoa, that was a strange dream. Or my husband, I'll be like, what, did you have a dream? He, my husband is not into this, but I try and nudge him along and just ask him, you know, when I said, that was weird. Or it's like, well, tell me about your dream. And he's like, ah, never mind or whatever. And of their importance. But some people are having dreams of, crimes and murder and, and and just these horrible dreams and when I was having them I was like what is in my head that I would either play the part of a victim of something terrible or the fact that I was the perpetrator you know like this isn't in my makeup at least you know I don't think it is <laughs> to to take someone's life or something and I would wake up and go what the heck why am I dreaming this? And there was a lot of work involved in trying to figure that out. And it came in several different dreams that I'll share because so that will make sense, though it may not be in um, chronological order. But basically, one of the dreams was I was in this field and there was a huge uh, metal vent coming out of the earth. And I was like, that's really strange. Or what, you know, just this solid thing with an open top. And it was huge. And I would walk over to it. And I saw that it didn't seem man-made. It seemed so clean, a piece of machinery that was so, um, there was there was no grime or grease or anything on it that would, would, that would seem as a, a man-made mechanical thing, thing. And there was this orangey pink, mist coming out of the top of it and I touched it and it was not hot to the touch either it wasn't magma it wasn't fire you know it was but it was something that was being released in this misty um, fog and I came you know through a lot of communications with my guides and that what I what I learned was that these are valves all over the earth that are processing, the negativity is rising. It has to be brought up from the earth. We are experiencing huge changes. And I won't go down that road in this you know, episode, but um, in order for the love and the positivity um, to come down in the, because we're in a dual earth, you know, it's hot, cold, love, hate, you know, everything is, is in this uh, dual property. And, there has to be a balance cap. And if we are to be releasing this negative energy, then it has to be 
being replaced by love energy, right? So there's so I'm learning about balance of the energies through this. But I'm standing in front of this metal thing and within a couple of days I had another like part 3 of this learning experience spirit school about these valves and about why we're having these horrible dreams. And the words came up Sorry, I get really emotional sometimes. It's it's touching. We are the valves. The words, the valves are us, came. And we're st- strategically placed all over the earth. Sorry, Goosey's here. We're in our places for a reason right now. Right? You know, it's we're important. We're holding the balance. And that those dreams, those horrible dreams are, we volunteered to have them. And they're a lot of work and they're a lot of distress, but they come through us and are released. And we're we're happy to do it. It's service to this world, to God, to, you know, we're foot soldiers here. And and I'll add one more caveat, little story. Um of of uh, evidence of of this really happening i had an intense dream of three boys in the woods teenager um around 16 um his little brother around 12 and a neighbor boy and they had got decided to go out and um bear hunt they were deep in the woods they were exactly someplace that they should not have been, and they knew it. They knew, they saw the signs that they were in the middle of a community of bears, and they knew they were in trouble. And the older brother was trying to convey to them to be quiet and to follow his instructions. He knew they were in trouble, and one of the one of the fellows was he had a character like the Bill. Paxton character and aliens and all the shows where he's like, oh man, we're I'm, we we're gonna do it now. We're all gonna die, you know. And he just kept doing that. And and the 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 older brother is like, Shh, you know, let's try and figure this out. And I was playing the part of the younger brother, watching the older brother and knowing the seriousness of what was on his face, and trying to comply with what he needed and try to calm this this boy down and I woke up before I had to witness the horrific death of these three boys and I woke up and went what the heck this was year this was several oh probably eight nine years ago that I had this dream it was at the start of some of these dreams and I couldn't figure out why I would so intense, not like I was viewing it from a movie, but I was one of the parts in this. And, you know, I went into the bathroom and I sat there and I was contemplating these boys and what was happening to them. And a visual, and I do get visuals now, and they just kind of pop up and it's like the screen forms and this is playing out in front of me. And here were these three boys a few years before. They had a tent out in the yard. Dad had the hose. He's spraying the flowers. The boys are running in and out of the tent and happy and enjoying each other's company. And I decided I needed to Google what if if this had ever happened. You know, it's like 
this was so real. This had to be real. And it took me a while, but I found it. I found the names of the boys. I found their ages and their deaths because each parent side to the parents didn't know that these boys had gone out. They had one gun between three boys and, you know, they all blamed each other. The town was ripping apart. And I asked my guide, it was like, are these boys still in this, you know, torturous? No, they were not. But the land, the occurrence, the it was still a negative impact on the earth there. The boys were fine. They were on the other side and fine. But I was participating in cleaning up this horrific thing and the the ill will between families. Like I said earlier, the entire town was involved in the, the angst and anger of why this happened and how it had let happen, you know, during a sleepover at somebody's house. So I I was shown that these these type of dreams, they seem awful. Well, they are awful, but there's a purpose to them. And that, that was able to cleanse. So... Don't when you're when you're like, why am I here and what is my purpose in this world? We we have purpose. We, you know, some that we're not even aware of. I love what you're saying. And I'm also equating it to the waking dream, right? There's, you know, mm-hmm. I, and yeah, you know, like for me, I know that I chose certain traumatic events in my life and and to be the traumatizer in other people's lives as well mm. for specific reasons. And now coming into spiritual awareness, it's about transmuting all of that energy, not only for myself and my own family line, but for the collective in general, which is exactly mm. what you're talking about. Yeah. You are transmuting collective energy. And that's what you know, many of us are here to do. And I would say that if you're watching this right now, you are also here to be part of that work. You know, like you cannot perceive us if you want vibration. Right. Yeah. And I love that. And 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 again, it's like another reminder to really pay attention to what's going on in your dreams. And yeah, lots of people do a lot of very intense work inside of their dreamscape. So I'm so grateful that like you're bringing this topic to the awareness of this community because yeah it's one of the great things about sort of expanding our brand and it's such a cool topic to to get into is there any sort of like literature that really resonated for you as far as like people working with dreams I read a lot of it it's it's some of it uh dream interpretation and a lot of it falls short for me and I'll um I'll give you another example I was dreaming for about two weeks of an old boyfriend, right? I mean, I he was a great boyfriend. I still care about him. I only think good things about him. It was in my youth. We, you know, it's like it, it lasted three or four years, but we were, you know, 16 and, you know, la, la, la. And, you know, I'm happily married, you know, it's like, and I would wake up and go, that felt good. And, you know, it was nice. And yeah, it was kind of like this love thing, but you wake up and it's like, you got a husband behind beside you, you know, and you're like, well, okay. And then when it happens again, and then it happens again. And for like two weeks, I'm like dreaming of this guy. And I was like, dudes, you know, am I being predicted that something's going to go wrong in my marriage or, you know, and you know, what, 
or in his or, you know, what, why am I continually dreaming about this guy? I was kind of getting concerned. And I heard he's only a representation. And that, again, gives me gooseies because it's like that answered so many questions of why someone's in a dream or why we're in this particular circumstance. It's not if we, you know, if we interpret our dreams literally, we're going to fall short. Um, But if you look at what did this guy mean to me? Well, he was definitely my first love. I trusted him. He adored me. He was always good to me. He was probably the closest thing to a, uh, you know, a love, the unconditional love of the other side. You know, he really loved me and I knew he did and he accepted me for who I was. So the representation of him in this dream when I woke up and he had been ignoring me and here, you know, all of this trust and everything. And now he's looking through me and past me and not interested in within me anymore. And I was so hurt. And I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, I even asked him, it's like, how could you change your mind, you know, so quickly about, you know, what we have? And he didn't have an answer. He was just kind of done with me or whatever. You know, it was just that was, you know, the cutoff. But I hung on to a hope of that he would come back to. Now, this is a dream, right? <laughs> okay, that he'd come back to me and, you know, we would pick up where we left off and he just had, you know, just a, you know, mental illness for a few days or something. I don't know. And it took me a while to process this dream and remember that I had also, this is why you write them down because you forget some of these, but then you start going back in your journal and you go, oh, this dream goes to this dream that went to that dream, you know, in the journal before. they, It's it's amazing how the puzzle starts clicking. But what, um, I had a dream that I was in a river, creekside, a really racing uh, body of water. And it was, I was tired. I couldn't get out and I was holding on. I was holding, holding, holding on. Try, and there was no way I was going to be getting out. And my resolve, my energy, everything was, you know, it's like I would have nothing left to help myself meander down this river if, if and when it was inevitable that I would be plucked off whatever grasses and rock that I was holding on to with everything in my being I was holding on and the voice came it was like let let it go let go and you know it's like quit holding on to the past you know let yourself accept change and everything in my life was changing as far as my spirituality and my calling what I felt like my mission in life was and I there there was a part of me that was still afraid to open up and was like no let let go of the side of that creek and just you know meander and you will find your way your way you know your path will it, you're going to be fine that- so yeah, wow. That message was directly for me. And I hope somebody watching feels the exact same way because yes, I mean, I yeah, I really needed to hear that because it's just it's such great wisdom for life, you know. 
And, um, you know, even, even myself, like having had profound spiritual experiences, like, no, I still like some of my human garbage mm-hmm. and I carry it with me from scene to scene to scene in my life because I like it, you know, like I want it, but it doesn't serve me. And there's no way for me to flow. If it I doesn't continue serve to hang you on, it keeps you from flowing there. you That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Let it go. So. Yeah, it was just, I was bound and determined to try and hold on to something that was no longer there, that no longer served me, that no longer cared about me. Everyone else around me, friends in that were saying, you know, here, go to this party or get a new bow or, you know, whatnot, make him jealous. They all had ideas, but it's like, no, I'm going to hope and hope and, you know, wait and wait. And that doesn't serve you either. So Right. Yes. Wow. I'm so grateful for this conversation today. It was so great chatting with you. And again, thank you for opening up uh, Yeah, this topic of conversation to our community with DreamWork. And yeah, I definitely feel us collaborating more in the future. Yay. So I'm so grateful. And there'll be links in the bio of this episode that where you can contact Claudia, where you can buy her books and find out more about her. And I'm just so grateful for your willingness to serve the community. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Betty. Bye, everybody. Be wavy.